As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on and so is the 2020 Formula One season because the first new car has broken cover. Images of the Ferrari-engined Haas VF20 have been released today, giving us the first slice of the new season to discuss. I'm Ed Stewart and joining me on this special edition of the Race F1 Podcast Extra is Grand Prix winning car designer Gary Anderson. Gary, it's very much a continuation, yeah, there's no big rule changes, but it's always exciting to get a glimpse of a new car, isn't it? I guess even for someone like yourself who's who's been around Formula One for not not too far off uh, half a century now. Yeah, it is because it sort of kicks the season off, you know, you know, you know it's now starting and it's uh, it's only a matter of days and weeks as supposed to be to be get the noise and see the, the racing start again, but there's a lot to do between now and then obviously the testing has to take place and everybody will be pushing pretty hard to step forward a bit from last year i suppose you call it because that's with the continuation of regulations that's what you should be doing it should be a move forward because you know the basics of the car you understand your car from last year or at least you should understand your car from last year you should understand its deficits and you just want to f- make sure you fix the bad bits and keep the good bits not easy but that's the objective well that's a challenge um has certainly understood the symptoms of their problems they they hope they've understood the actual problems and, and there are a few interesting hints with this car isn't it? we've got five images of them we're looking at the, the sort of front three quarters uh image now uh number 20 kevin magnuson's car this is livery does and of course we should say the livery has changed back to something close to Hass's old livery now the whole rich energy things things done but the the front wing I think was the thing that caught all of our attention given the the problems Hass had last year and although you can't always trust launch car front wings there is a little bit of a shift in this one isn't there yeah I mean the front wing obviously it's a bolt-on goodie um, I'm sure they're in the wind tunnel right now uh, trying to come up with something better 
But the one thing I'd say about it is it's a it's a very you know it's a basically a very gentle change of shape. Now, if you take the front wing and we t- we talk about the loaded area of the front wing and the unloaded area of the front wing, basically the whole wing has a load on it. But if you if you're too dramatic with your shape changes as such, in other words, if the flaps and that twist around really quickly, and last year's Haas did that, it, it had a high section on the inside, went across fairly horizontal, then dropped down a bit quickly. And what happens with that is you get a lot of transverse flow because, you know, the air will follow the, the lowest pressure suction area required. Um, so it doesn't, the, wing, the air doesn't just start at the leading edge and go, you know, back parallel to the centre line of the car and off the trailing edge. It actually twists around stuff. And you're trying to do that with these with these wings. You're trying to make it sort of um, fair in the front tyre, I think, because the front tyre, or any tyre, is about the most obstructive thing you could ever have in, in for aerodynamics. Um so you're trying to do that with it, but you don't want to do it quickly and you don't want to do it inconsistently. So the new front wing will have a lot more consistent airflow. Um, and that should help them, to be honest, because, again, the front wheel is steered so that it's moving all the time across that front wing. So if you get too critical with the position of how that transfers flow goes around your tyre, you end up with a um, with a very critical car. And at the minute they're trying to, d- to devise a lot of the front downforce from this sort of section inside of the front tyre and they're trying to let flow go off the top of the front wing around the outside of the front tyre and you know it all it's logical to me if you can generate the front downforce you need um, it's the logical solution because you have more or less consistency and you can put the steering lock on and off as you want and it won't be uh, critical to that airflow. And of course, that consistency is is kind of at the heart of Haas's struggles last year. They did have a car that, in some conditions, worked. It was decent in high speed corners. It did have a strong front end, which you'd expect from the, the kind of approach it took. But they did struggle in in low speed and medium speed corners with the the, the rear downforce kind of going away. You'd get little stalls and that kind of thing, and it was difficult under braking. More rear sliding. So when they talked in the first half of the season about the tyre problems, that was basically because the downforce wasn't always there. So you're you're overloading the tyres, and which is why we kept seeing them dropping like a stone. And of course, we didn't see this at Barcelona because it was cold. Australia was cold. Car ran really well there. And then over the rest of the season, we often saw, saw them qualify really well, and then plummet in in the races. So I guess the hope is that 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 this is going to solve it. It's clearly the right direction for the solution. So it's encouraging that at least everything lines up at this stage. Yes, I mean, it's all the bits that add up, all those little turning veins and everything add up to one. And at the end of the day, they're probably all on there. We can't see a lot of the stuff around the bars boards, but they're probably all on there, but it's making them all work as one. Now, I've been through you know, exactly the same experience as what Haas had with the, the, um, the Jaguar in 2000. We went testing, the car was great, no problems whatsoever. You know, both our drivers at that point in time were talking about winning races. Winning um, the World Championship Challenge, yeah, uh, that, yeah. that challenge was even talked about. And, and you know, we then went to the hotter races and suddenly um, the car was just impossible to drive. And it was a very simple thing. Now, it's not generated, you know, in the diffuser, it's very, very important because as you're going down the straight, you want the diffuser to stall because that gives you more straight line speed. But you want it to be a controlled stall, so whenever you hit the brake pedal, the rear of the car is coming up and it, it reattaches. The airflow reattaches and gives you the downforce. If it doesn't, the car's a nightmare under braking. You're using the rear tires much, much harder. Basically, you, you know, if it doesn't reattach immediately, once you turn the steering wheel, the rear tires are all you've got. And um, it just eats up the rear tires, as I say, and overheats them, especially with these Pirellis. So it, it's a big, big thing. Now, it can be caused by the front wing. It could be caused by the bars boards. It could be caused just simply by the diffuser itself. But you've got to recognize the problem before you can fix it. You can keep changing stuff, and at the end of the day, the problem could either just get bigger or it could get a bit smaller. But it'll be bad luck 
And the most important thing is to dig in deep there, try and really find your problem, find the cause of the problem and fix it. And you'll, you'll be on your way. And you'll actually learn a lot as well. There's a few other visual changes on the car. Sort of a minor detail that, that's quite easy to spot is the, the air intake. It's a triangular shape rather than the, the sort of flat oval that we, had, that we had last year. Yeah, it's very much the old style McLaren sort of shape. You take that sort of snapshot of the rollover bar that's what they used to use all the time. And as I say, it's, it's one of those things these days because of the turbo engine, you don't have the airbox as an air intake. Yes, it supplies air to the inlet side of the turbo, but the turbo makes up, makes up its own boost pressure onto the engine so all you're doing is trying to supply fresh cool clean air to that area um and you use that or people are using that or have used that area to also cool some other stuff like maybe the battery pack or the hydraulics or some small small ducts to cool the other stuff uh so it meant that the radiator inlet ducts themselves could be smaller because you just sort of need a total capacity of inlet whether it's the two radiator ducts and the rollover bar or just the two radiator ducts, you need a total capacity of inlet um, to, to cool the car. And obviously they've decided to go for the, the simpler route, um, have a lesser intake up there, which I agree with completely because with these ducts, no matter what, what, what the duct does, you get spillage uh, around the side of it because the, the, the air cannot just pass through there at and cool adequately at 100 kilometres an hour and pass through there and cool adequately at 300 kilometres an hour. So at some point in time, you have what you call a blockage. And that blockage means it has to spill somewhere. And um, if it spills around the side, it can hurt the rear wing. If it spills out of this, the sides of the, the radiator ducts, it uh, destroys the way the side pod works. So you have to accommodate that flow, that spillage flow, and not just the fact that the car cools pretty well at a certain given speed, because it will change at, at different speeds. Now, wind tunnel works all done at, at uh, one more, more or less one speed. Um, so you do your research at a at Mr. Average Speed, I suppose you might call it, um, and you get a set of figures for that. But you need to consider that you're working, a race car on the track is working each side of that quite quite a lot and uh, accommodate it. Looking at some of the other images, there's a side-on image which shows fairly pronounced rake that's very similar. It doesn't, I mean, it may well be different because you can't always entirely tell comparing, but it's very similar to what we saw last year. So that that's fairly standard now for F1, isn't it? It is a fairly standard thing for F1. Um, it does help the car in, in slow corners. Um, the front wing's a bit lower to the ground because the car's a bit like what it shows in that picture. Um, with the rear high and the, and the front low, the front wing's near the ground. So in low-speed corners, you get more front grip. and high-speed corners, the rear of the car will move more. Now, if you take a sort of Mr. Average stiffness of suspension stiffness for the front of the car and the back of the car, the back of the car, if you can get yourself an aerodynamic platform that will allow the back of the car to move more or less three times as much as the front of the car. In other words, if the front of the car moves down 10 millimetres, you want the back of the car to move down 30 millimetres. Then you have a very good error platform. Not a lot of cars can do that because aerodynamic characteristics change when you change that gap to the ground. But that's the sort of objective of it, is that the rear of the car will drop down more as you go faster and faster with the downforce on the car. Roughly 40% of the downforce goes in the front of the car, 60% goes in the rear of the car, so automatically that makes the rear of the car go down further uh, the front wing in effect then more or less stays still it doesn't actually change its height much to the ground the back of the car comes down so in the faster corners the the, the center of pressure of the car that forces pushing down in the car goes rearwards so it gives the driver that little touch of understeer to give him confidence in fast corners because no driver likes really high speed oversteer but then in, in the medium slow speed corners as you go slower basically the front end grip picks up 
So that's the typical characteristics. You need the softer rear end as well for traction because if it's too stiff, the, the tire takes all the load and it will just step out sideways with you. So it's a combination of mechanical stiffnesses and aerodynamic forces and how they change. And as the car moves to, the, as I say, as the car gets faster, the rear of the car will move to the ground. If you took a snapshot of that car at 300 k's, it would probably look quite flat. Um, not Maybe not completely flat, but quite flat. Um, now, Mercedes is the only one that hasn't gone that route yet. They've, they've stuck with the old school of keeping the car um, flat, I suppose you might call it, or fairly flat. And they've gone a, up a tiny bit on rake, but, yeah. but they're still very conservative compared to the rest. It's two-sided in one way because obviously the car like that in low-speed corners, the centre of gravity of the rear of the car is, is a bit higher than what you could have it. But that also helps the car rotate. It doesn't do any good to the rear tyres, but overall, you know, aerodynamics dominate. So if you can get an aerodynamic advantage out of it, then you, you'll go that route just because the centre of gravity is that little bit higher. Not really the end of the world as long as the aerodynamics make up for it. But if you don't get aerodynamics working, then the centre of gravity will be a deficit. So you've got to make sure that you make the advantages work for you. And one thing that really stands out from the the, the wonderful sort of dead overhead image is it does look like the wheelbase has, has lengthened this year. In fact, the wheelbase went up last year when they moved the front, the front axis, or the front wheels a little bit further forward. Pretty much everyone did that to maximise yeah, yeah. the the space between the wheels and the, the barge board area and the side pods because that's such a big potential area. They they appear to have moved the uh, the rears back a, a, a bit this year now, so it's a much much longer wheelbase. What will the, the rationale behind that have been? Well, the regulations dictate the, the weight distribution for the cars. Um, and you can have you can adjust that. I think it's up maybe close to two percent. You can change it, but let's say it's based around forty percent, so you can go to forty one percent front or thirty nine percent front. I don't know how close they were to to what the um, to the, that weight distribution last year, but the further forward you can put the the weight of the car, um, it's, it's hard to explain this, but it's, the further forward you put the weight of the car, obviously the more load, more lateral force the front tires take in the middle of a corner. And the more downforce you need, and front downforce, as long as you can achieve it with the front wing that you've got, or the, or the car concept, as long as you can achieve the front downforce, there is no negative to that. The reason the FIA did put a control on on the uh, centre of gravity was that people were going further and further and further forward, and all these devices were making front downforce were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're ending up with 46, 47 percent front mechanical weight, and then you wanted 46, 47 percent um, aerodynamics. And again, the reason of that was because Front downforce comes pretty cheaply as far as drag is concerned. Rear downforce is very expensive as far as drag is concerned. So you're able to reduce the amount of rear downforce you had, increase the front downforce, and you had a more efficient car. Haas have probably done a little bit of the same thing. They've moved the rear wheels rearward a little bit. They can optimise the coke bottle a little bit better, that area, and let the flow get inside the rear tyres, which is good for drag. Um, and also the fact they can take some of the lateral force out of the rear tyres going through a corner because that was the Achilles heel last year. So they're trying to look after the tyre a little bit better, trying to make the car a little bit more efficient, and that's one way of going about it. But you, the, I think the front wheel to the front uh, of the side pod area and barge board, that's one of the fairly critical areas of, of uh, downforce, and you need to make sure you haven't uh, neglected that area. That's that's one that will give you the big numbers. And, of course, Haas is heavily reliant upon Ferrari for its ability to build these cars. It takes as many of the, the non-listed parts as they're, they're called. The, the parts you don't have to make to preview a constructor, but of course it does mean you have to do all the aero, which Delara does using the, the Ferrari wind tunnel. But how restrictive do you think that would have been? Because, for example, the suspension is Ferrari. So that's a, a, a part they're given. It's not just the, the engine and gearbox. And there'll be all sorts of other bits under the bodywork, the kind of, almost say, the mundane bits and pieces that are needed to make a Formula 1 car work that aren't necessarily performance determinant. But it does... 
mean that Haas is sent down a certain avenue in terms of packaging, etc., isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, most teams now, you know, other than works teams, obviously, use uh, the engine package that comes from the engine people. That you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault will spend loads and loads and loads of money sorting out their best package of of cooling requirements, and it would be sort of wrong for anybody to to sort of turn around and say, well, a small team like Haas could could better that. So you're better taking as much of that package as you can. Suspension geometry is another thing, but at the end of the day, you know, Ferrari are pushing pretty hard and they're using the same tyres. So everything's the same. It's just about making sure that you're, what you are creating, your aerodynamic platform, um, sort of holds up with Ferrari's philosophy of, of mechanical design because that's what you need to have. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ferrari... The rollover bar area and the, and the, what what they take in the side pods and what they take in the rollover bar being similar because I'm sure they're trying to cool the same stuff. Um, so it leads you in a certain direction, but again, aerodynamics dominate. So you know, if the Ferrari come out looking exactly the same as this Haas, then there would be a few people asking a few questions. So it can't, it can't. So the outside, what we see here, the visual outside, will has to be a little bit different and will be a little bit different. Will it achieve the same goal? Um, Ferrari are probably hoping not, because it would be a bit, a bit nasty to have your own, your own uh, one of your teams you supply with engines actively in your competitor. Um, but it's, it looks a like neat and tidy car, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, because for Haas as a team, they're a small team, they can't make everything, and they've bought into that. You know, they're, they're doing it very well. Well, that's the thing, that Haas, despite the fact they had a terrible year last year down in ninth in the Championship, their worst season in terms of position and, and points, but that car had some underlying performance in it that they just often couldn't access so it wasn't it isn't a team that's forgotten how to make a car that that can go can go pretty quick so that's encouraging for them but coming back to that Ferrari side obviously one of the things you're always quite keen on is the the suspension um that's obviously a key part of the car concept making it usable a, a good platform but if you were designing a car in that and you were locked in to the suspension geometry you I imagine you'd find that quite frustrating but I mean doubly frustrating if you didn't necessarily like it but obviously there is a balance between yeah, you want it to work aero-wise, but it has to have the the kinematic characteristics and and work the way you want it to. Otherwise, you can end up with a car that doesn't quite work for you. Well, I think whenever you build a car, you design a car, you go to test it and race it. You if you don't if you don't have the philosophy behind everything you've done, you don't quite understand what to expect. Um, you know, if you've done the suspension geometry and you know that during this, this steering characteristic X Y Z happens, then whenever the driver's talking about stuff, you, you you know, it lights a little candle in your brain to, to take you in a direction. If you haven't been involved with that, if that's just come in a box and you bolt it on the side of the car, then you don't have that background to it. You don't, you haven't come from anywhere. It's somebody else's brain that's outside of your company. And um, that makes it quite difficult, I think. I've always been very interested in, in suspension geometry and how it all works with the tyres and stuff. That got neglected for quite a few years because aerodynamics, you know, ruled the wrist. However, I think we're, we're seeing a cycle where we're coming back a little bit more. Instead of these stupid front wishbone angles, now we're starting to see some more relatively conventional suspension geometries. You can't keep abu- you can't keep um, yeah abusing the tires politically and abusing them on the track. You have to sort of buy into some time that you have to th- you know try to be as good to the tires you can be before you can actually criticise the product. And a lot of people have been really abusing the tires geometry wise in my book and being critical of them um, in the media. Whereas if you 
if you look after the tyres best you can, it will work for you. And, you know, Mercedes is a typical example of that. Yes, the tyres are, are critical, you have to drive within them, but that's always been the thing. They're the four bits of black rubber that has connected a racing car to the ground for, for a lifetime. That's all you've got. There isn't nothing else. So unless you look after them, you're, you're going to, you know, the guys that look after them better are going to do better than the ones that don't. Absolutely. It stands to reason. I know Mercedes of, uh, well, I said, remember James Allison when I interviewed him last year, he basically said that they, they did make some suspension changes with last year's car, but it was to deliver the same sort of performance and behaviour for as, for an aerodynamic advantage. It wasn't kind of right, this is what we're doing aero-wise, even if we compromise ourselves suspension-wise. So that 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 is important. Well, final thoughts, your your, your overall verdict, five images of a, of a launch car sometime before it's going to test is, is not a great deal of evidence to go on, but are you encouraged, disappointed, so-so about what um, you see? Uh, yes, from what we can see, you know, I think that, I like the detail of the front wing. It's simplified the front wing in, its, in itself and it should be more understandable. Um, the detail of the car is nice. The paint scheme is nice. It's better than it was before. I don't like big black cars. Um, seeing it in detail on the track is obviously going to be the important thing when we get to the test. I think this is probably a very big year for Haas in reality because if you know they have a year like last year, I wouldn't be surprised to see Haas you know, walking off into the sunset. Well, they're not signed up for, for 2021 yet. No, nobody is, and he's not there to run around the back, and he's not necessarily expecting to win. But another, I think another year like last year could sadly spend, spell the end for a team that actually has done a really, really good job in yes, the few it, years. Yes, it has. Now, I mean, going through the days of starting up with Jordan, you know, in the 90s, I know how hard it is to keep going every year. I mean, you have good years and you have bad years, and you've got to see the big picture through it all somewhere. And, you know, I think nowadays it's so expensive that you, that big picture comes pretty much early, pretty, very early. But, as I say, they just need to perform solidly. And I think cars will accept the fact that if they can run around in the in the top ten and, you know, knock on the door of top six every now and again with an opportunity that if the big boys trip up over themselves, there's a, potentially a podium there. That's, that's adequate. But they have to do it this year, I think, because if, if not, then bye-bye, I'd say. Well, let's hope so for, for the sake of Formula One and also for, for the sake of a very hard-working and, uh, and effective team. Uh, I, I do think the car's in the right sort of direction, so they're, they're at least trying to tackle the problem. So that's, uh, that's very encouraging. Uh, well, do head to therace.com. That's the hyphen race.com, our website, where you can read Gary's technical insight. We've got various pieces up there about the Haas and other aspects of, uh, of Formula One and, of course, all our other categories we cover, MotoGP, Formula E, uh, eSports. So there's plenty to, to read there. We will have uh, regular podcasts around the, the launches, our kind of weekly podcast for that sort of set aside for, for launch season and the tests, but we're going to try and do uh, podcasts certainly each each launch day talking about the, the cars and giving a little bit of uh, insight on those. So do please keep a lookout uh, for the Race F1 podcast extra episodes for that. Thanks very much, uh, Gary Anderson. And yeah, we'll be back next week for more new car talk. <laughs>